Hey guys, and welcome to the Pacing Racing Podcast, the Canadian triathlon podcast made in mind for the age group triathletes. So today we have Australian pro triathlete Sarah Crowley on the show to help us on episode number three of the Road to Roth training series. So for the first time listeners, a little bit of a backstory here with the Road to Roth series. At the beginning of August, I announced that I will be doing my first full distance triathlon at Challenge Roth in 2020. And since then, I found that a lot of listeners actually on a similar path as I am. And whether it was for Roth or for any other race out there, they were too on that crazy journey that their first full distance triathlon was coming up. And they were looking forward to hearing that content specific to the full distance triathlon. Now, of course, never have actually done this distance before. I figured everyone could benefit the most in a series where I get to interview the top professional triathletes and the coaches that will be able to help provide a ton of training tips specific to that full distance, as well as give us that motivation and insight that we need to help maximize our performances come race day. Now, to introduce Sarah, she's an incredible personality in the triathlon world and is best well known for her charisma, her arrow hair, and her well-rounded talent across all the triathlon distances. Now, coming from an ITU background, she has quickly worked up to be a crowd favorite in the Ironman scene with a 15th place in her Kona debut in 2016 to a third place the year after. She's recently had an incredible season with second at both the half Ironman and full Ironman Asia Pacific Championships and also placed second place at Challenge Roth in what was her first time racing that event. Now in today's episode, Sarah tells us what her first experience at Roth was like as she podiumed alongside previous Roth winners Lucy Charles and Daniela Blamel. And she also goes over some favorite moments and memories of Challenge Roth and goes over some race advice, which is really awesome to hear. And we also go over her thoughts and preparation as we head into another highly anticipated year of Kona and talk about some tips like traveling for triathlon, training with power versus heart rate, and so much more, guys. So I hope you guys enjoy this podcast and be sure to take advantage of your long bike sessions by lining up a few episodes to play for constant workout motivation. Now, let's cue the music. So today's episode is brought to you by two sponsors. The first one is Echelon Wheels, which is a wheel manufacturer based right out of Pickering, Ontario, which is awesome because that's super local to me and I love supporting local brands. I'm beyond happy to find a wheel company like Echelon for so many reasons. As we just mentioned there, this being a Canadian podcast, I love having partnerships with other Canadian brands and who better than a wheel company that offers that top quality design and the top materials for a wheel set at a fraction of the cost compared to the other brands in the market. And I mean, to put this in perspective, the Echelon Full Disc is going for around $14.99 Canadian, whereas other brands on the market are selling their full discs for around $3,300 US dollars and up. And I mean, of course, every wheel set is always a little bit different, but as an age gripper, we all know the sport is so expensive and it's nice knowing there are other brands out there like Echelon that are able to keep the cost down for us as much as possible. And the neat thing about Echelon is that they're active cyclists who run the company. So you know they're not just making their products, that they're actually using their products for their passion. If you take a look at the products that they carry, they offer wheel selections from U-Profile to V-Profile and offer depth ranges from 38 millimeters all the way up to the full disc. So if you're curious to see my bike setup, I'm currently running a 60 millimeter Echelon wheel in the front and an 88 millimeter in the rear with DT Swiss hubs. And I actually have a video coming out on the Pace Racing YouTube channel that will consist, you know, sort of of a buying guide helping you understand the wheel sets because as you may already know, it can be very confusing on knowing which wheel set is the best for you. In this video, I'll be breaking down all the different wheel sets and hubs and all that fun stuff and explain 
which is the best wheel set for your course or race conditions and you know just help you sort of decide overall which is the best fit for you. Now, Echelon isn't only a partner of the Pace Racing Podcast, but they're also huge supporters of some big triathlon clubs out there like Team Else PC and the Hugh Dog Racing Team. And for a limited time, they have been super awesome and offered up a discount code to the Pace Racing listeners. So if you want to look at getting yourself a wheel set, then head to echelonwheels.ca and use that promo code pacing and racing. That will get you $100 off your purchase of a wheel set, which is super generous of them. I'd also recommend following them on Instagram or Facebook by searching at Echelon Wheels. And again, Echelon is spelled E-C-H-E-L-O-N. The second sponsor of today's podcast is Cycon Bags, which I'm super thrilled about because, of course, being here in Canada, unfortunately, it requires a ton of traveling and flying to get around to some of these big named races. So Cycon has actually offered up a 30% discount to the pacing and racing listeners. And you can reap benefits of this by using the promo code pacing and racing at checkout for 30% off. So if anyone has actually traveled with a bike before, you may know that it's an extremely hectic journey if you aren't prepared. And not only that, but it's a whole process of taking your bike apart and putting it back together when you get there. Meanwhile, on this flight, you're praying that your bike doesn't get damaged. So, I mean, that's why I'm thrilled to say after a ton and ton of research into this bike cases, that I finally went with the Cycon Aerotech Evolution X, and I cannot wait to show you guys. So I'll be doing a video going over in detail exactly how easy it is to store my bike in it to travel, how little time it takes, and most importantly, how convenient it is to travel with. And so now many of my listeners who follow me know I'm a big fan of keeping costs low because we all know triathlon is such an expensive sport. But I think I literally truly think a bike case is just one of those few items that you should definitely not cheap out on, guys. And the reason why I say this is because there'd be no worse feeling than traveling to a race only to get there with a damaged bike or even dealing with the stress of rebuilding your bike. So for a few quick points on the bike case that I chose, it's one of the toughest and lightest hard shell cases in the world, yet it only comes in at a very light 26 pounds. And it can fit bikes up to 62 centimeters in size and wheels up to 26 inches. And with smaller bikes like mine, they can actually fit without removing a saddle. And in most cases, you only need to actually remove the wheels, remove one pedal and turn the handlebars. That's it. And of course, I could talk up the bike case I bought, but there's just so many more Cycon bags available that... They all have their own neat perks and bonuses. So, I mean, definitely feel free to browse around, see which one best suits you and your needs. And if you want to check all these out, guys, you can check them out and see what's on sale by heading to www.cyconbags.com or search them on Instagram, Facebook, or YouTube by typing in Cycon, which again is spelled S-C-I-C-O-N. So Sarah, welcome to the Pace Racing Podcast. How are you doing? Yeah, um, really good. I'm actually on a bit of a rest day. We've, I'm training in Park City, Utah at the moment for my main block for Kona. So um, yeah, I'm happy to be on a rest day and glad to spend some time with you. That's it. No, awesome. And yeah, I'm glad we were able to kind of get you on the show because like we were just saying not too long ago that you were uh, just going through some pretty rigorous training here. So I'm glad I caught you on a, an easy day. So that, that works perfect for us. Yeah, it's, uh, <laughs> yeah, it's good. It's good to be on the show. Awesome. Excellent. And so I guess before we dive into Kona and Challenge Roth and you know all that good stuff, let's let's talk a bit about your background in triathlon because before all this long distance stuff that you actually competed a fair bit in the ITU. So like how did your triathlon career sort of unfold? Well, I started a little later. Um, I was still not quite a junior, I think under 23, but the year I kind of got my professional license as an elite, I um, was 
was kind of already too old for under 23s by the time I got up to speed with like getting good enough to, to race uh, at more of a world level. So um, for me, I jumped straight into to senior racing. Um, I moved from Adelaide uh, up to Queensland in Australia where we have the most part of our performance programs um, so I could get the right coaching and uh, also you sort of get into the system so you know the level and what to be racing and everything else. And um, yeah, I guess for me, I, I was pretty good at sort of the continental level. And then as it got more intense with the swimming, I was just getting dropped and it was really tough for me. I didn't have, um, like I was a fit swimmer, but I wasn't a good swimmer. And so for me at the time, it was just not possible to, to be at the level required. But having said that, my bike and my run was like right there. So it was quite a frustrating time for me racing ITU. And I think, um, I guess had I met my current coach, and train with him back then, it would have been a, maybe a different story. But, um, yeah, I guess from there, I mean, the whole time, even before racing ITU, I was an accountant at Deloitte. And uh, so when I kind of had a bit of an injury at the end of, say, or start of 2010, I, it was a good time to segue back into, uh, into the workforce. But I maintained my professional license and then did a bit of, like, run road running and uh, – a bit of uh, professional cycling actually for a little bit and then kept, kept my pro license and raced a few halves and things. And, um, yeah, I just pop away on the weekends at work and, and go do some racing. But, you know, it was always kind of like a balancing act with work, uh, for a number of years. And then probably 2015, I decided that, uh, I might give it another crack at the end of 2015. Cause I got some good, really good form and I was getting sort of confused as to what I was even trying to achieve. I was like doing my first Ironmans and I was like racing halves and trying to do duathlons and just all sorts of stuff. And I thought it was probably a good time to like get a coach and get them to make the decisions for me. So, and that's what sort of led to where I am today. Amazing. So yeah, that's an incredible story to kind of hear and how it all unfolded. So you worked at Deloitte as an accountant, you said, so is that still something you're doing now or kind of when did you start committing full-time triathlon? Yeah. So, uh, they were really good to me. So the first time I went off racing ITU, I was on a leave of absence for two years. And then, uh, I did work sort of one day a week here and there and kept my skill base up. Um, but it's not really possible to work very hard in corporate finance when you can't really contribute a full load of work. So, uh, I went off for those two years, pretty much full time and then came back. And then the second time, uh, began, in the start of 16, I think for some of 16, I was, so basically at the start of 16, I joined my current coach and for three or four months of that year, I was still working full time. Um, and then by about March, I think I was on leave of absence again. Um, and then maybe I was on a flexible work arrangement for probably a year before that, where I'd, work from home on Wednesdays, um, just because it's the middle of the week and it was like real battle for me, uh, working sort of like big hours in corporate finance and then also being able to like get any training done. So, uh, I worked from home on Wednesdays for a year leading up to that. Um, but then, yeah, I guess I went on leave of absence from about March and then I have since kind of decided that this is kind of my job now. So, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm not, I'm not uh, holding back with Deloitte at the moment because they're like, Where, are you going to come back to work? I'm like, mm, <laughs> I can't really see it. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's perfect. Yeah, well, that's the thing, right? Like uh, 
out of so many pro triathletes that we see nowadays, they, they just more and more just committing it as their full-time job. Right. So it was crazy that you were able to juggle and manage sort of both for so long. I think that's pretty incredible all in itself. Yeah. I mean, and it was kind of strange, like while I was working sort of the years of say 2011 through to sort of 15, I was kind of, the more the work piled on the, the strange thing was the more I wanted control of my life and the more training I did. So the tighter I got, it was kind of a weird thing that when work was easy, I would be easy with the training, which becomes like a weird <laughs> burning candle at both ends kind of problem. And then, yeah, but you know, we worked out a solution and that was the work from home Wednesday. Like you just sort of got through the week a little easier. Um, didn't have to kind of rush and get changed for into suits and things on your way to work and you could replenish your s- supply of shirts in the office and just get ahead a little bit without the commute time. So, um, yeah, I mean, it was pretty good. I was lucky I had a supportive workplace, I think. I mean, Deloitte is one of the best for uh, sort of empowering people to go do things that make them happy. So, um, yeah, I was quite lucky with how supportive they had been. Yeah, no, incredible. Okay, yeah, it sounds like a really good company, actually, that the fact that they're able to be so... Uh so lenient with the, the, you know, the work schedule, working from home, things like that. That's not actually pretty cool. So I'm, I'm yeah, pretty happy I mean, that. That's great. Yeah. I mean, I was a director as well. So it wasn't like I was, I actually had responsibilities with my work. So it was kind of, yeah, it was very good of them to be able to do that. And then I guess they just provide all the support. And I think the main thing, I mean, I guess there's people out there at the moment that would be training for big races. And the key thing I found with it all is just to commu- communicate a lot. Like, people know what you're up to and it's kind of a good topic anyway, when you're talking with clients and everyone else, it's like, uh, it keeps people on the, in the loop. They know what, what you're trying to do and where you are and when. So the expectations, you know, it's not, like you don't have uh, big surprises where, yeah. Oh, I'm, you know, I'm going away and you know, everyone knows what's going on. So although it's, uh, makes it a little less private with your life work. <laughs> it all merges into one thing, but at least it makes it manageable um, and everyone's across what you're trying to do. So I guess that's a word of advice with maybe trying to do too much. It's at least communicate uh, a lot and don't surprise anyone with, yeah, because then you kind of don't perform and that's, that. you know, when you start to like not perform, people don't trust you and then it becomes a burden what you're trying to do. So, yeah, I feel yeah. like communication is key on that that's huge yeah and actually that's really great advice because you know what i can guarantee the majority of these the listeners will be age groupers who are who are in a similar situation as that right they're juggling their triathlon training with their full-time job and i think that's some some great piece of information that they can resonate with because i think that'll go a long way and just kind of being more open with their training i think like you said it's a great conversation starter as well too right and keep people in the loop so excellent that's yeah, good people are interested. yeah for sure awesome so I mean, so just talking about that ITU training briefly, uh, like how did you find the training change from when you left the ITU style of training over to the long course? Oh yeah. So I was like with, um, I'd always been with groups that were like big on threshold and lots of like high intensity. I mean, I guess that is ITU, but also probably maybe overdoing the intensity stuff, um, for a little bit there. And so when I, for a period of time, I mean, I was training with an age group squad while I was working and I was trying to adapt what I thought I needed to do for long course from what I had known from short course. And so I use the age group squad to like bulk up aerobic stuff, but I tried to keep a lot of the intensity in my program. And I think I missed a factor 
which was strength, um, which is probably something that we've added a lot more. It was definitely something I do a lot of now. Um, but yeah, I had really no idea. I had no background in long course at all. So, uh, yeah, for me, it was just bulk miles on top of intensity, um, was how I tried to do the, I guess, 70.3 style racing that I did for a lot, a number of those years. And yeah, it was a combination of training with a, a coach squad and trying to, I guess, malle make it malleable into what I thought I needed to do. But I think I missed the mark a little bit for a while there. Yeah, no, that's interesting. Yeah, it's always, I mean, for people who who watch the ITU and seen how they they race and they train, like it's it's very fast. It's very, like you said, it's all threshold. It's it's pushing to the limit. So it's pretty crazy to see. And then, yeah, I think it'd be it'd be a big change in switching over and like dropping things down and focusing on distance. And so I, that'd be quite interesting to kind of get over that hurdle, right? Yeah, and even now I get kind of get really frustrated with like I know what I need to do and I know what I'm doing is at the level. I know what the world level is for the long course stuff, but I still get frustrated because I really do enjoy going fast. Um, so it's kind of, I get all these like mixed emotions about, you know, having to hold back to sort of like more of a tempo pace on a lot of stuff because <laughs> it's about, it's really about sustaining a pace for a much longer amount of time. And so I kind of get frustrated that a lot of training is kind of in that zone where you're trying to just hold a uncomfortably sort of fast pace but it's not speed and fast which i really enjoy um and i guess i just have to yeah sit on that <laughs> yeah no it's funny it's, it's actually funny that you're saying that though because really like i'm the same way like i i, I do better in shorter courses uh, when it comes to results and then every time you go up a longer distance course it just i get worse and worse so it's i prefer the, the faster stuff myself even though i'm on that you know that journey to get to the long course so it's it's uh it's funny, and I can, I'm glad I actually hear someone else saying that too. So it's not just me. That's perfect. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I mean, I'm pretty sure there'll be quite a few other people that are making the journey to long course that, you know, and the reality is probably now that I'm a bit older, I probably wouldn't have the speed that I think I have from when I did have. But, um, you know, I, I still, I think maybe just need to let the let the lid open sometimes, maybe do a fun run or something just to let it out. <laughs> but, <laughs> but uh I mean, we often do that. We throw some things in that kind of keep that one on, keep that one at bay. But yeah, it's definitely something that I find a little frustrating because I just love running so much and I love hurting myself. So yeah. find no. other ways to do it. <laughs> there you go. Perfect. So, I mean, like since you switched over to long course, you know, like the Ironmans, the Challenge Ross and all that, that like you've, you've had several big wins and, and podiumed at some big, big races. And I mean, this year for you has been spectacular in itself. Like how could you say your season has led you so far as we're about two months away from Kona now. So what can you say about your, your season? Yeah. I mean, I've had a mixed season in, I mean, behind the scenes it's not as perfect or as grand as it may appear. Like I think I had a few really minor, but frustrating things happen earlier in the year that kind of maybe meant that I didn't perform to the level that I really feel like I could have. Um, so I had like a little roll of my ankle earlier in the year and um, right when I was really pumping, uh, I was about to get really fired up and things were going in the right direction and I had to really hold back on some running for about two or three weeks leading into Vietnam and Taiwan. And I think it was more leading into Taiwan. I still performed really well on the run there, but I think that, that damage kind of hurt me in Vietnam a little bit um, and then when I got back from Vietnam, I picked up a bit of a flu and I couldn't 
do in the last three weeks leading into cans quite what I wanted to for that. And so they're just little things that like maybe could have changed. Uh, I mean, we had a, I guess we had a uh, big schedule and there was always, you know, you're hitting up against the best athletes. I try and race them only like I really prefer big hard fields. So for me, it's important because uh, we need to rectify things for this time of year. And so the only way to know is to race the top girls. And so picking people like Holly to race and, and Lucy and those sort of things. I mean, you've really got to be on your game uh, no matter what. And so these little things, I mean, that, you know, to be honest, they probably, you know, you may, maybe the gaps would have been a couple of minutes here or closer, but it's still quite frustrating that for me, I couldn't have the performances that I would have uh, liked to have had. Um, And so I guess, yeah, I guess it was kind of a, sort of a little bit frustrating, but, you know, I went away after Roth and we've come to Park City here and I've just really bunkered down and eliminated a lot of noise, um, which I feel like, say, in 2017 when I was getting some of my best performances, we we didn't have the focus on me as much as we did, say, last year. And so it we've kind of cut and stripped back a lot of the noise and a lot of the commitments and things and just focused on the training a lot more in the last six weeks. And I'm feeling really good and a touch wooded that something silly doesn't happen in the next few weeks, but um, yeah, everything's, everything's kind of headed in the right direction and we've probably outperformed a lot of training that I've ever done. So I'm sort of really excited, but you know, it always, you know, you always got to have in the back of your mind that it's such a, uh, it's such a risky sport with so many things that can happen. You've just got to really, uh, yeah, be mindful of that and and uh, respect the distance. <laughs> yeah, for sure. No, that's true. And I mean, yeah, fingers crossed that nothing small like that happens because it's so true. When you you think of the race, it kind of like makes you nervous. And like, example, if you're well for an age group, I guess a lot of age groupers listen to this, they can attest for this that if they book a race, it's that little bit of hesitancy where they're like, okay, this is several months out. I don't know what can happen in the next several months, right? Like, I don't want to pay for my ticket and everything to get there, only to to get injured halfway through. So it's always it's just one of those things with the sport, right? It's just with extreme yeah. racing, it just comes with comes with extreme. it, I guess, right? Yeah, and it's like. You know, I mean, I guess it's the ability to manage. See, I'll always be able to manage things that come up. We can manage it. But it's then, it's then you just want your best performance. You put all the work in. Uh, I guess for us right now, for everyone racing Kona, um, like now is the riskiest time. And I think I'm I'm sort of quite grateful I've got through the last six to eight, eight weeks without sort of any drama at all. Um, but, you know, it only takes like last year, my husband, he picked up a little cough on the plane heading to Kona and then I yeah. had it in and you could see the I just deconditioned a little bit and then I had had a run that maybe I was just like five minutes slower than I should have been on the run and that's a few places in the race it doesn't take much you know you're right on the borderline of something going wrong and it, you can have a good result but to have the premium performance and to get the best out of yourself things sort of need to go to plan and it's it's just Ironman. It's such a risky sport. I think um, I'm not like injury prone or anything, but these are just minor things that really do have an impact when you're trying to peak your performance. So, oh yeah, yeah. for sure. I think um, we're through the most of the training now. So, touch wood, we're we're all good. It's just a matter of staying healthy in the next uh, three or four weeks, really. Yeah. No beauty. That's it. And so, I guess looking ahead, then, uh, 
what are you sort of expecting with Kona? Like, are, are you visualizing anything in particular? Like, what results would you leave Kona happy with? Does um, that matter to you at this point? Or? Oh, of course it matters. Uh, Kona is the biggest race of the year. And I mean, that's, we did a big, big, I mean, part of the reason why I did probably pick up a bit of sickness is I was a bit immune, immune compromised probably earlier in the year because we did bulk training. And I think that's really something that's starting to show its, showing up now with the training that we're doing now it's like to move up levels sometimes you sacrifice a bit of performance earlier in the year for the peak performance of the year and yeah like things are going really well um and so i guess you know when you start doing things like i mean it's it's silly i guess everyone age everyone as an age grouper looks at strava and stuff but when you start kind of hitting queen of the mountains on mountains and in utah where people ride them a lot and you start kind of getting in the top 10 when you're not trying to, or you like start sort of PRing runs or you start getting, you know, little trophies in your training peaks. It's like when you're not actually intending to do it, you sort of start to think, well, maybe things are coming together uh, at the right time. And so, look, I go into the race, I guess, I've got three more weeks back in Australia after Santa Cruz with my coach and uh, we'll fine tune uh you know, anywhere where I've sort of lost any technique or something being away, but we've been sending videos back and forth and stuff. So it should be good. But I guess all things going to plan this year, I'm looking for a better run. Like I think it's, I keep saying this every year, I guess, but um, I guess this year it's, um, I actually am performing better on the running um, up at 2,200 meters. So I guess um, that's probably the, thing that we really want to unlock the run that I did have in Penticton in 2017 again like uh that was probably where the level where I can run and um yeah should that happen I think who knows it really does depend on where everyone else is at I'll always be at the front of the field I know that but it just depends on you don't know what form everyone else is is running into into Kona with I was quite close to Lucy in in Roth and it could have been closer I think if I yeah, I've probably done a couple of little things differently. Um, Lucy responded very well on the run, by the way. But, yeah, who knows, hey? <laughs> you yeah. definitely go into that race with all the intentions to leave it out there. That's for sure. Yeah, no, that's good. It seems like you're in the right mind frame and the right mindset right now with all the training that's kind of built you up this year. So hopefully it all kind of, like you said, fingers crossed, everything goes well. And uh, I'm excited to kind of watch it. But I mean, yeah, you, you mentioned Challenge Roth there. And so I guess because you maybe had your Kona slot already, but we saw you uh, race Challenge Roth for the first time. Is that correct? This is your first time this year? Yeah, it was. Yeah. yeah. Amazing so, experience. Unreal. Yeah. Oh my goodness. <laughs> so it seemed amazing. I mean, and I mean, nonetheless, like you finished second to Lucy Charles there, like you just mentioned, and uh, you were just ahead of last year's winner, Daniela Blamo. So let's go over that race a little bit. Like, how'd you feel about the, that race overall? Uh, yeah. So I went into that race in pretty good form. Um, I kind of did something a bit silly and I actually... <laughs> I've since like I'm sponsored by Precision Hydration and, and because Frankfurt was really hot the week before, which we saw with like Sarah True having a lot of trouble, I I think I overhydrated leading into the race. I had this really big problem where I needed to go to the bathroom like the entire race and I actually had my tummy like fully swell up and uh it caused me to like kind of have a bit of trouble on the bike in terms of like feeling comfortable and stuff. And I'd near the end of the ride, um I'm probably going into the detail of the race a little bit quicker here, but anyway, I'll, I'll circle yeah. back. Oh, that's good. Basically, t- 
towards the end of the the ride, I had to like sort of sit up for a little bit and actually go to the bathroom, maybe in the last K or so. And I kind of lost maybe 500 meters to the group. Um, Yeah. And I feel like it was a bit of a mistake now because I don't, to be honest, I don't even know if I could have sat up to run with the amount of fluid in my stomach. It actually pushed my belly button to an Audi. (laughs) Yeah. That's it was crazy. like a borderline hernia. I don't know what I did. I just like overdid it. We've went, we've been through it now. I've got it sorted. I got a good team, and we went went through like the exact amount of fluid that I had and stuff. And totally recommend people getting this all sorted. But <laughs> and you think with the amount of experience, but you know, like I said, you don't know this stuff when you're watching. You think that everything's smooth, but it yeah, not, it doesn't always go to plan. And like you just have to, I guess everyone's dealing with these little things and you just got to be able to adapt during the race. Um, so I then put the hammer down on the run and you know, we like the gap went down to say three minutes and then Lucy responded. And then in in the end, we kind of ran the same pace. Yeah. But I feel like maybe had that been closer, it would have got it to maybe two minutes and that then becomes a game. Uh, cause responding then is not about, fighting off it's about survival and it changes your mindset being chased so yeah, yeah like I, I think that was just a silly mistake <laughs> like <laughs> uh we learn hey but in all in all i was really happy with the race like i got into a pretty good group in the swim and then uh we kind of let lucy get away a little bit at the start of the bike i think but yeah we fought fought pretty hard in the i didn't really do a lot of work on the bike which i don't normally do i just like intending to have a really strong run and yeah, I guess it kind of, you're then limited, I guess, if you don't work so hard, you're limited by the situation that's happening around you a little bit. So we probably, it probably let Lucy get away a little bit more on the bike than I normally would have, but yeah, credit to her. Hey, her running is amazing now. I think she's really put in some really good work in a way that she hasn't been injured doing it as well, which is, it's quite Mm. impressive. Yeah, it's it's actually it's incredible. Like even the the whole lineup at Challenge Roth this year was spectacular. And to kind of watch that, I think you said it perfectly there, right? Like everyone watching, they don't know all these little things that might be going on with every every individual racer, right? So that's just yeah. a, some something you won't realize. So it's again, that's actually very very interesting that that one minute could have made that. Who knows what it could have done, right? It might have made that difference. Like you said, it changes the mindset by just uh, that little bit of time. So I think that's always really crazy to hear and. I mean, this is looking a little far ahead for next year, but is Challenge Ross something you might be doing again to kind of see where it goes from there or um, or you might be switching to Frankfurt or kind of what are your thoughts on that? Oh, yeah, I don't know. I guess, um, yeah, like we don't really think about it too much. I don't even know what I'm doing after Hawaii moment. So we yeah. just don't, we just take it as it comes. Um, yeah, I feel like... I'd like to do it again for sure. And so it was such a great race. Like, to be honest, I really had a lot of fun. Um, but I do like racing regional championships as well. So, yeah, look, I love racing in Germany as one thing. It'll definitely be racing in Germany. Uh, yeah, nice. I do it every year. It's such a great environment. There's so many fans. And so, yeah, which which one, I'm not sure yet. Yeah. And I mean, it's, it's always hard to tell too, right? Because it always has to blend in nicely with the rest of your schedule. So that, that changes things a lot. So that makes sense. And so I guess let's talk a little bit more about the, the feelings about that race, because I mean, I love hearing that, especially because that'll be my, my first time there next season. So I like hearing about it in particular, but I mean, I read on Instagram 
uh, one of your posts that you described it as the Woodstock of triathlon, which I thought was pretty neat. So, I mean, uh, could you expand on that a little bit? Like, what do you mean by that? Um, well, everyone stays in homestays locally. Like it's not, oh, there's big hotels and things. So everyone's kind of making it part of a triathlon type community. I think that's probably one of the first things I noticed, which I feel like drew me to that kind of, I guess, festival type thought. And then it's got a lot of glam. Like there's, I guess Woodstock didn't have glam, but it was trendy. Like, uh, there's kind of the most massivest expo I've ever seen. If that's not even a word, it's the most (laughs) enormous expo I've ever seen. Um, which even me having, you know, however many years in the sport, I've been seen everything. And I'd have to say it's probably even I went and had a look at stuff at the expo. Um, because it was just so big and interesting. Um, then I guess it's so well supported by the community that is there as well. So people that aren't homestaying are volunteering and, um, and it's really got kind of a, yeah, there's a lot of other events going on at the same time, which makes it just super exciting. So, and then the race itself is, is just fun and fast and, uh, and it's got, it's still challenging. It's, it's quick, but I was surprised by the, the landscape of the course. Like, I don't know how it's so fast, but it just really is the surface and the perhaps the corners, even though they're corners, they're not too sharp or I don't know what it is, but it's quick and it's, it's fun. And I guess on the course, there's so many people and it just brings the best out of you. Yeah. Um, I guess for me, it was pretty exhausting for the professionals. We have a lot of commitments and I think the thing that, I just kept saying to myself uh, is everyone's in the same boat for all the professionals. So um, we try and make ourselves available for as much as possible and we're all doing it. And so therefore it's no advantage or disadvantage. The only disadvantage is if you stress yourself about it. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yeah, like just accepting that and being part of it is just was a lot of fun, which could have been stressful for me, I think. Um, in the past, I may not have had that mindset. I I just think this year I've probably just let it go a little bit more and not being so uptight about about doing extracurricular stuff. But um, yeah, it's definitely uh, definitely one of my most enjoyable races I've ever done. Yeah, no, that's amazing. That that's awesome to hear. It, it makes me super pumped to hear about it and you know to look forward to it. And I I totally get what you mean by you know taking on too much right before a race. I know the professionals, like you said, there's just so many commitments that, you know, sometimes it could be very overwhelming and it, it depends on which way you look at it, I guess, like you're kind of saying, because uh, on one hand, you might say this kind of helps you, you know, take away from the stress a little bit of thinking about the race. But then on the other hand, you're tiring yourself out doing a lot of other things. Right. So it's kind of one of those balance games. So uh, mm. that's good. That's good. They kind of had a good perspective on it this year. And I think you said it nice that, you know, every other pro is kind of doing the same thing. So that's kind of a nice way of looking at it too. Cool. Yeah, you can't. You've. My husband said that he's like, "What? Well, there's no point in stressing because you've, you've all got to do it. So just, just enjoy it." And so with that change in mindset immediately, it was like I was quite relaxed. Uh, just thinking of it that way. I mean, compared to say Hawaii, where you've got a lot more control over your schedule and it's a lot more spread out. So I feel like um, in Hawaii, uh, for me, I try and make sure that things are sorted well before I attend and I don't add things during the race week. If you don't have me sorted now, you probably won't get time because I'm very strict with it. And in those cases where I get pulled, I get a little bit more frustrated, I think, because it's a proper planning kind of thing. Um, But you do have 
quite a considerable amount of time and I front end a lot of it. Whereas at Roth, everything turns up. It's like a roadshow. It's like comes on the Thursday or whatever. And then <laughs> it's such a compacted amount of time and lots of things happening within such a short amount of time. It's like, you just got to let it go and just roll with it. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think Hawaii, I guess for me, it's still the world championship. It's the most important race of my year. And I just got to take a little bit of control over, over what I, I guess, where you spend your time. And what, yeah. where's your best bang for your, your buck really? Like, uh, it's important to give time to, I guess, media and sponsors and, and everything, but it's, there are a lot of things that you could probably front end and do, do at different times. Yeah. Or back end after the race, for example, as well. Yeah, no, exactly. It's all about time management and not mm. burning yourself out before the race. So that's perfect. And so now I know, compa- like you just mentioned there, comparable to some of the other courses you've raced, I mean, this one wasn't nearly as challenging, but uh, do you have any, is there any tips or tricks or thing, little things you could pick up on that would be good to pass on to first timers that are going to be racing at Challenge Roth um, to kind of help them be a yeah, little more successful? Sure. Yeah, like I was surprised by the number of corners. So, uh, you know, I mean, I'd seen it before, I guess, in Frankfurt, there's corners through villages, but there are actually a lot, like a few corners in in uh roth and so maybe if you can get out on the course and just drive it um if you get depends on how early you get there but i actually did a lap of the course um with someone that knew the course um uh, actually the engineer from canyon take took me around because he lives in the area um and i felt that that was really helpful on race day as well there's a climb that it's worth doing at greeting um on the back at far end of the course it's worth doing the climb and the descent from that um, I think they're the main things like with the Solarberg, I guess that's something that everyone talks about. It's, um, it's kind of one thing that you can ride. It's not much of a hill really, but riding up it without the crowd is a totally different thing on race day. You're pretty much just riding at a wall of people. <laughs> and I guess there's no way to train for that, but perhaps yeah. you can just know that they will move and don't yeah. stress. <laughs> <laughs> they're very experienced spectators mostly it's um yeah it's just just accept it and uh enjoy it uh i guess smile on your way up like that's it's really a, a unique thing in the sport to have that experience so i think yeah don't be frightened of it it's not uh it looks scary though even for me i'm like well <laughs> we're gonna ride straight into people but they move <laughs> <laughs> No, that's good to know. That's the big thing. As long as they move, that that's the main no thing. <laughs> Perfect. Awesome. So now when you guys, like when you travel to Germany and I guess this kind of goes for like any, any race you travel to, uh, do you, do you tend to make trips out of them and, and kind of like stay for some sightseeing or exploring or, uh, is it kind of like all eyes on the race and then back to, back to training in your, in your hometown? Yeah. I, uh, head usually over to Switzerland for some altitude training first. So usually if I do a race, like typically I've done cans and then headed to altitude, um, because I respond really well to it. So I train at a base in a German speaking part of Switzerland, which is St. Moritz. Um, and then I would spend, yeah, three to four weeks perhaps training there and then drop down to, to the races. Um, Usually there's not a great deal of sightseeing, but then I feel like my job is sightseeing. Like, you know, you're out riding and really properly seeing countries when we're training. So, um, yeah, I mean, I usually do a little bit of stuff after. So, for example, 
I didn't race twice this year. Last year I raced Frankfurt and Hamburg, but this year it's just Roth. And I spent a good week in Germany, but I have a lot of connections and friends in Germany now with Canyon being a sponsor and my aero specialists from Lexi smart suits that do my suit. Um, Alex, he lives in, in Cologne. So a lot of, uh, a lot of my sponsors are based in Germany. And so I've learned to speak German. And so for me, it's an enjoyable time to after the race to go around and just catch up with everybody and, uh, yeah, practice a bit of the German and, and, uh, have a, an easier week um, before heading here to, to Utah to, to really properly uh, dial in for Kona. Awesome. Yeah, no, it's always cool to hear. I always like to, to you know, hear about that. And you know, I always find that it's very common that a lot of pro athletes are, you know, if they're from North America, they tend to go to uh, Boulder, Colorado. But uh, a lot of the European athletes and such, they always head out to St. Marie, Switzerland for their altitude training. So that that's cool. So you find you... Uh, it, it does make a difference to you to go there for a few weeks and then drop down and race, right? Yeah. Like everyone responds differently to altitude. Um, the bond body has different ways of coping. Like some people breathe more and other people produce more red blood cells. And I'm luckily the latter. And I think I really do, do get a, uh, uh, like a boost from being at altitude. And I think, uh, yeah. And I guess the other thing that I enjoy about altitude and not, mostly here in Utah is actually the fact that the terrain and the conditions and the lack of oxygen and the heat really do do a lot of the training work for you. You don't need to have a huge group around you. You just need to actually get out and train. And mostly that will do a lot of work towards getting stronger and fitter and faster. Um, so yeah, I'm just really lucky that it works for me. It's a, it's an expensive endeavor. Um, I guess to stay in mountain resorts and locations <laughs> like during the year, but for me, the I'm very grateful that I, you know it does work for me. Um, some people it doesn't; they get sick. Some people don't get as much of a benefit. Some people, yeah, it's just it varies, and it's worth trying. But you know, you need to stay for a decent amount of time for it to have any effect. So right. you're talking plus two to three weeks, I guess. Yeah, minimum. No, it makes sense. Oh, that's good. And so that, that kind of, that's perfect. I mean, I guess we'll switch up it here a little bit. And uh, as we keep discussing about training tips, I guess, but uh, one of the things, as we just heard here that you do a fair amount of traveling. And so I thought traveling tips would be a good thing to kind of ask you because uh, you actually posted on, on your website that you use the Cyclone as your bike bag, which is happy to see. Uh, I just picked up one of their bags myself as I kind of think forward to uh, racing this year and taking flights and stuff. So I think that's perfect because uh, what would be some little tips or pointers for triathletes that maybe traveling with a bike and, you know, all their gear on a plane stuff for the first time? Because, uh, yeah, even myself, like I don't know a whole lot what to expect. Oh yeah. Okay. So my biggest tip for the bike is don't overpack your bike bag. It's a temptation because sometimes you pay like a bike fee and you might, maybe their limit moves up to like 32 kilos, which what, seven pounds or something. But I promise you, if you want to preserve the status of your bike, uh, do not overpack it because things move around and that's when damage happens. Uh, and just make sure everything in there is really well secured as well. If you're taking things like a disc, I recommend like really packing hard, like quite a bit of cardboard around the disc. Um, I always cross my fingers a little bit with the disc because they're usually made out of cork and it's they're quite 
fragile. Um, so I've actually got both a Cyclone soft case and a hard case. Um, so when I travel with a disc, I pack, I pack it in the hard case. Okay. But I'm lucky my bike's so small that I only have to remove four bolts from a head stem uh, from my uh, base bar and it fits in without changing too much else. So I think it's like a little luxury of being a small person, but, um, <laughs> you know, like I don't have to move the seat or anything like that. So, um, yeah, but, you know, like I think that's my most important is just do not overpack your bike bag. Like I've never had any drama when I've just put in there, literally strapped down the pump, bike, wheels, a few spares, and that's leave it at that. Um I think it's like makes it easier for the baggage handlers and it also just makes it like fit through the conveyor belts a bit better and just a little easier, you know? So, um, big recommendation, I guess on, on that, uh, as for the other stuff, I mean, you just need to make sure that you've packed everything you need. And, um, yeah, like I probably go less on the equipment and uh, less on the clothing and more on equipment. So if I need, Normatec boots or whatever, um, you know, make sure I take them with me. Uh, I would never compromise on physio aids and those things. I'd rather compromise on extra pairs of clothes and just deal with it. Um, yeah. Yeah. The equipment, things that can make you more comfortable and healthier and, and fitter and more ready to race is probably what I pack over casual wear. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's smart. Actually very smart. So I, I like to hear that. And, so you mentioned you have both bags, you have the hard case and soft case. Um, do you have any preference on them or uh, any pros and cons to each of them? Yeah. Like it's basically just really depends on whether I take a disc or not. Um, I just don't know how else to take a disc with them and feel fully confident that it's going to, that it's going to make it without being punctured. So, right. um, like, you know, it'll be fine in a, in a soft case, but it's just for that peace of mind. Uh, I guess. So yeah. I think mainly the, my, my, my biggest choice, you lose out on weight definitely with the, the heavier case. Um, it just makes it under the weight limit, um, the minimum weight limit. So it's, it's a little bit more, uh, you know, I guess you've got to consider that depending on how much stuff you have to take to the race. But, um, both of them have four wheels, which I think is the most important thing <laughs> is that you get a lot of wheels and, uh, you can easily take them through places. Uh, I think that's the major advantage of all Cycon equipment is that it's it's got the four wheels um, and you're not sort of dragging stuff around. Yeah, no, that's true. That's perfect. And uh, it's very good to hear. It kind of makes me feel a little more confident, I guess, a little about, you know, just traveling with a bike because uh, that, that's good to hear. Because, yeah, I think, I, so I end up getting the hard case as well. So I'm kind of looking forward to using that. So when I heard you say that, I'm like, okay, that, that's a good sign. <laughs> yeah, so, yeah, perfect. yeah. It's It's worth just sort of having... It's just it, like the hard case is more inconvenient. It's a little bit heavier, but then you've got like the added security for your disc wheel. Whereas the soft case is like so much super quick, it's super fast, it's super light. It's like stealth. Um, so, you know, it depends, you know, if you're taking, you're going on big trips and things you, and you know, if you go into a big race, maybe the hard case, if you go into training camp, maybe the soft case, like it's just things, you know, very dependent. Like, yeah. Very dependable. And it's worth, it's good to have both. You can just, you know, kind of make that choice. But one other thing with the luggage, I guess, is, is sports nutrition is probably one of the heaviest things that you take. And, um, if you know what you need and you know where you're going, it's sometimes good to order that stuff ahead, uh, and not take it with you maybe. 
Um, because, you know, you can weigh up to three kilos if you're doing a, an Ironman in a training camp. You may be five, you know. So it's a big chunk of your luggage, um, which I guess takes away from taking two helmets, you know, or maybe taking an extra pair of running shoes. Or So I think that's something worth considering is whether you can order what you need and have it delivered somewhere in advance of you arriving or shortly after you've arrived. Um, most places, hotels and things will take deliveries. So it's kind of something that I've kind of gotten my head around. I never, I used to always take everything and it was a little painful. <laughs> yeah, actually that's really, uh, really convenient to hear, especially, you know, that a lot of hotels will do that too, or, you know, people are getting Airbnbs and stuff or homestays for that matter. Like that, that's all really cool. So that's actually really great advice because yeah, it can, uh, can take up a lot of your, a lot of your space in your luggage. Yeah. And it's heavy and it's, it's like just annoying. <laughs> yeah. No, good call. That's, that's great tips. And so I guess switching up a little bit, uh, I wanted to ask you about this because it sounds like you're just talking about your coach early on. It sounds like you're, you've got, I've got it down to a science. Now you're training. Uh, now I guess looking at age groupers, do you feel it's, it's almost essential for a triathlete out there to have a coach if they want to, you know, perform at their best of their abilities or are some people able to kind of get away with being self-coached or what are your thoughts on that whole thing? I guess it depends on what your um, goals are. Like if you just want to enjoy the social aspect of triathlon, which I think is a really important part of the sport, um, you know, maybe just a social training group is enough and a general coach that coaches a group and uh, you can, because, you know, when I was working, I think the most valuable part of the training was the social side and having the coffees in the morning. It's what got me through the day and it's probably why I trained harder when I was working harder because I needed that sort of social side of my life. But um, I think specifically like when you're trying to maybe qualify for the Hawaiian Ironman or you want to make a world's team or, you know, you really need to understand more about how you perform, what works well for you. And sometimes you just can't assess that yourself. Um, and also having someone specifically tell you what you need to do makes you do it sometimes. And maybe for me, I'm not that kind of athlete. Like I will train probably too much, but some athletes, are the other side of the coin and they need camps and they need to be told each day or they maybe won't do as much or the right mix of training that they need to do. So it really depends on your goals and what you want to achieve from triathlon. Like there's definitely a place for all different coaches and all different uh, levels of coaching and all different levels of commitment as well. So um like for me, I'm obviously, we're trying for the absolute high performance. We almost replicate our racing every year to see what we know when I'll perform better because we know, you know, how I'm going to perform based on certain like racing seasons and stuff. Like we know a lot more now than we ever did because we're trying to aim for, you know, the top five, 2% of the sport. Um, it's a totally different concept to trying to achieve your first triathlon or doing triathlon because you just want to be fitter. Uh, so yeah, like this is, this is really a spot for everyone uh, in the sport. And it's a matter of just making sure your goals align with, with what your, I guess your current level of commitment is to your coaching uh, is, is probably the most important thing. Yeah. Awesome. You actually said it perfect there. That That's very cool to hear. Kind of, it, it's all very dependent on, like you just said, you, the, that person's goals and, and their limitations and expectations. So very cool. I like to hear that. And I guess when it comes to you for training and, and racing, I guess, uh, 
do you tend to use power meters or heart rate zones or like what's your sort of philosophy with all that? Um, our philosophy is we make more power. We don't measure it, but, um, <laughs> <laughs> love it. That's awesome. <laughs> we can't make power. It's like we make, we measure power by how many times you smash a cassette. Um, no, really, uh, <laughs> no, we do measure power, but it's not like, it's just a guide. It's useful. Um, I mean, say with writing, I probably try more around the cadence sort of thing. Like I, I'm focused a lot on that because I know that when I'm hurting myself, at, I, I, okay, perceived exertion is probably the number one. And I think everyone should, regardless of how much, uh, you know, I guess science you go into with your power meters and everything perceived exertion is the thing that will never fail you on race day when the equipment fails. Uh, like in Penticton in 17, I didn't have a bike computer because we had a situation with my um, rear bottle mount and we had to change the location of my bottle means I couldn't have a bike computer and you had to rely on perceived exertion. You often hear people talking about how they, maybe had a bad race because they didn't know their numbers. I mean, you don't want, that's something that is like, I don't think anyone and right from the get go of my triathlon career, right from my very first coach, um, it was one of the most important things is to learn how it feels to be at certain intensities. And I think, so getting in touch with that will just make you a better athlete. Um, and it is never going to fail you. Having said that, the other stuff, the data is very useful. It's very, very useful in comparing your performance and your level as to where you have been in the past and where you then expect to make jumps and, you know, where you think you could get to. Um, but also it's, it is important whilst you're training as well to like have that feedback. Um, but it can also be a poison chalice in that maybe your powers down, but you've been working on a huge heavy block of training um, it's expected, but it's hard for then for the athletes, different athletes to put that in perspective and be able to ignore poor power. Um, so it's use it, use it mindfully, um, use it to help you and enable you, but maybe don't rely on it to the point of, you know, being brain dead to data. Um, yeah. Is That's kind of how we operate with all numbers. <laughs> it's like useful to a point don't get obsessed. Yeah, actually, I, I really like that. That's a really great concept. <laughs> and especially what you just said at the beginning too, that was perfect. Like, a really nice quote for it. But no, it's true. Like procedure exertion, I guess that's kind of the key and using that data as a reference kind of afterthought. But you're right. When I do think back of the the one time I, I race and, and just my, my bike computer wasn't working, all that kind of stuff, it I didn't know what was going on the bike. And it, it kind of came down to how I felt and I know if I had that bike Peter, I would have went slower than I actually did in that race. So it kind of, you're right. That perceived exertion at the end of the day kind of does help and, and does trump everything else. So that, that's pretty cool. Yeah. And it can be foreign. If you become too reliant on numbers, the feeling you could be lost. Like if it's a lost feeling, if you are too heavily reliant on, you know, being able to, you know, push a certain number or whatever, it's like you're lost all of a sudden, which is not really, necessary because you're doing it every day you should just be able to feel it i think for me i'm very fortunate i think the itu background is like a major thing in helping me having understand the feelings of different levels of intensity um i feel like that i'm very fortunate to have had that 
Um, whereas I think if you jump in and do long course right from the start, it's like a lot of long, slow Ks. You don't know what like sort of tempo feels like or threshold or plus threshold. Like, do you know what I mean? So yeah, I think yeah. perhaps, perhaps that's something maybe for me, it's an asset, but I think it's really something I've always had uh, drummed in from an early age is to just understand what different, different intensities feel like. And then you can just, things go wrong, they go wrong and you can just ignore them and just continue on. That's it. Yeah. Perfect. And that's great. And I mean, let's uh, switch up here. There's just a, a couple more uh, quick pieces of advice I'd like to ask you here. And I guess this one's just about uh, the buildup to race week. And I mean, I guess for you, I guess let's focus on Kona. And I know we just talked about how you always have, there's always things planned for pros, but uh, I mean, ideally, what would be a, a buildup to a race week? Uh, like as far as rest goes, uh, do you do any training within that week? And um, as far as nutrition, are there any certain plans that you like to have every week before a big race? Yeah, so we pretty much have, well, in specifically to Kona, we've tried a few different options in terms of how far out we attend the race. That's like one thing because you've obviously got different conditions there. It's quite hot. Um, there's pros and cons of going closer and further away. Like the further away it becomes training into a race and it becomes a little bit, you get fatigued of Kona. Um, the too close and maybe you don't adapt to the heat. Um, so, you know, there are things that, everyone needs to kind of work out for themselves and typically the best solution I've found is maybe 11 days out. You feel the buildup of the race, but you're not so close that you don't get the heat adaption and you're not so far out that it becomes exhaustion. Um, there's, then there's like, I guess replicating the training that you're going to do race week. We basically do the same race week for every race um, slightly different depending if it's 70.3 long course or Olympic distance, but you're very used to the same routine, um, on race week, which is just one thing that reduces any like stress. So you, you can plan things in advance. You know, when you're going to be doing certain things during the race week, um, for Kona specifically, my biggest thing I think would be to say, do any commitments as many as possible earlier in the day where it's cooler. Um, cause once the start, the sun starts beating down, it's like very draining and yeah, I guess it's just a matter of like not trying to do too much. It's the weather there is quite, the humidity is exhausting. And, um, yeah, I think if you'd err on the side of less training because of the heat, if you had to, I think, but yeah, definitely stay in a routine, um, do things early, don't do too much stay hydrated, uh, yeah, and try and, like, stay eating healthy food. It can be difficult some places. Like, Hawaii is actually quite remote. Um, food choice is not – there's not a lot. So, you know, just maybe looking at that in advance and just staying with a healthy diet leading into the race, um, not sort of going out so much for dinners and that sort of stuff and staying calm and relaxed as much as possible. Yeah, no, perfect. That, that's great to hear. And I guess, like you just said, consistency is sort of the main thing when it comes to uh, a race week. And and that's kind of where a lot of age groupers, th that's where they start to fear those, you know, those jitters, uh, the pre-race jitters. And and it, that's when they want to start changing things. And so I think like you just said, I've right? seen professionals do it at Kona. Yeah. They get, they get a milkshake brain. Oh, I don't know what to call it. It's like <laughs> craziness and like people that you would never expect. I'm not going to name names, but I've seen some weird stuff go on. A lot of tinkering, <laughs> a lot of like 
doubts and and it's like it's just another race it it's an important race there's a lot of people there but really it's just another race so you know it's really just if you can just do stuff at every single race that you go to very similarly then it becomes a lot more process driven and it's so then it's you know i guess you eliminate a lot of doubts because you know that how you've performed off of preparations and um yeah i think yeah just just don't tinker (laughs) that's it that's the main takeaway yeah (laughs) awesome no it's good and so lastly here just like to ask um i always like to kind of hear this from every for every triathlete if there's someone in particular but is there someone that you would say was your biggest influence in triathlon sort of whether it was an itu that sort of inspired you to do it or someone now that you know anyone out there is it your coach family another athlete things like that yeah i mean i growing up in australia during like pretty good era of itu racing i guess emma snows was pretty much the sort of pin up in australia of like the epitome of triathlon she did everything so well and it was so impressive um so i guess for me that was kind of like my goals i, I loved watching emma race because she was a good runner and i love running but i guess for me i the thing i i love watching runners like pure runners as well um they inspire me like the two hour project at the moment I watch. I love it. Uh, totally interesting. Um, coming from Adelaide, we've got a big cycling base. So I loved watching cycling. Um, we have the tour down under. Um, and so, yeah, that was cool. And then Australia's got such a cool swimming culture. So I kind of look to all the sports. I mean, we don't really follow a prescriptive training the same way as you would in the individual sports. It's more of a triathlon based training, but um, which can be very different especially with the different like intensities in cycling cadence and all this sort of stuff. But, you know, I I still really uh, enjoy uh, and get a lot of inspiration from watching the athletes in each of the individual pure sports because um, the perfection that they have at the level that they are at. Uh, If we can only aim for just part of that, we'll get a little, a little bit better. So yeah, look, I love, um, yeah, I just love sport generally coming from Australia. There's a lot of athletes in other sports entirely, like say perhaps cricket or football that we sort of look look up to as well. So, um, yeah, sport, sport, sport. <laughs> <laughs> Find the motivation anywhere else. No, that's perfect all around. So, no, I love it. That's great. And honestly, so that that pretty much i think that's pretty much a good spot to wrap it up obviously i could ask a million more questions here but i'll spare you uh, your free your free day today so um yeah. but I, I will say to listeners actually to head to youtube and actually check out that your youtube channel because uh, i was i was checking it out it's actually it's got some ton of amazing content and i mean i mean kudos to whoever edits those videos because they put a ton of time into those uh those videos like they're incredible yeah, um, Steph Hansen from Witsop has been, uh, we've been experimenting a little, little bit this year doing those. Um, it's, it's been, uh, yeah, it's been good. It's been fun doing them together. I think Steph's like grown at the same time as me doing, cause she hadn't really done those type of videos as much before and it's pushed her a little bit and it's pushed me and yeah, it's been fun trying to come up with useful content for people. Um, yeah. it's kind of difficult that I'm away at the moment overseas, uh, trying to, kind of coordinate those but we've maybe come up with the solutions there might be a new one soon um we'll see um but yeah like it's been it's been fun i i do enjoy kind of trying to it's hard to let people know more about you without being like total 
plug for triathlon or plug for your sponsors. Yeah. Like you want people to understand more about the athlete. And it's, it's probably an avenue that it's challenged me to come up with sort of concepts and stories. So yeah, we're giving it a crack and trying. So yeah, hopefully they're helpful. Yeah, no kudos. To that, Cause yeah, they're incredible videos and, and really well done. So definitely I'd recommend the listeners go check that out. And I mean, just before we sign off here, I guess, uh, like we were just saying the sponsors do you guys uh, is there any that you like to give a shout out to because of course they're an integral part of kind of getting things ready especially for kona things like that right oh 100 um there's some pretty cool stuff that this is you know what like in the past i've had sponsors before but really the people that at the moment that are helping me have just like they're on another level and i think if you can get to that level of com- connection with your sponsors where things just work it's really remarkable and like I have had recently, it's a little bit of breaking news, but I'm getting some speed bars put on my bike, but the level of help that was required to get them perfect and to get them to me in America and to get them ready, but on time, it's required my aerodynamic specialist to meet me in with my engineer from, with the engineer from Canyon. Uh, so uh, Alex Bauer from, uh, Lexi smart suits. He does my suits and my aerodynamics testing. And he met with, uh, Edwin from speed bar in Roth. And, uh, also with my engine, an engineer, um, from Canyon, uh, who was able to help Edwin to come up with a mounting solution for the, for the speed bars onto the frame, uh, onto the, the base bar, uh, and did a drawing just for me to put them on. Uh, and then, you know, have that all wrapped up and then get, you know, SRAM, they sponsor my group set with zip. They were able to then, uh, you know, send the, the other parts, the blips and the things to make them work, uh, and to get them mounted onto the bike. It's like that stuff doesn't just happen. You need the commitment of your coach to endorse it. You need, you know, people just worked well together and, you know, it's quite an amazing thing. And I, you know, you can, have sponsors that give you equipment and products and stuff, but when they actually bought into your development, your career, it's, yeah. uh, it's another level. And like I said, with precision to give me the feedback, we went through in detail to work out what, what did I do wrong? Um, and what can we do better? Uh, you know, these sort of people, uh, and then I get, I guess flight center that have let, they've, they've got me to, to around the world. Like I need to be, um, yeah. And then, uh, more recently just having some, like getting the sizing all sorted on my wetsuits with sailfish and everything. Like I, I'm just so grateful that it's more than just, Oh, here's some stuff. It's like actually investing in, in me as an athlete and being kind of all in. Yeah. And then, uh, I guess lastly, of course, is Oakley. They helped me out with my helmet and, uh, getting it to me to test with aero testing in time for, for me to make choices about sort of which helmet to wear and, and what combination of sun, sunglasses on the bike with visors, all these sort of things. It's uh, you can't do that stuff alone without people that really care about, um, you know, you getting faster. And I, I, one thing I've always said, and it's important to me is that I don't just get, I don't approach sponsors unless they think they're companies that I believe will bring me to the level of performance required at, the world level like i don't endorse things that i don't think i can work with that would make me a faster athlete and like i have a lot of products that i use that i'm not sponsored by because i feel like uh i would be doing myself 
with all the training I do a disservice if I don't use the best stuff. And so I'm so grateful that the companies that I have are the best uh, and I'm confident they are the best, uh, at least for me and what I need. And um, yeah, I'm just super grateful of the amount of help that they give me behind the scenes. It's, it's not just financial products. It's like actual help. And uh, yeah, I'm, I'm very grateful. Awesome. Yeah. Super cool to hear. And like you just said, I'm glad that you found like such great sponsors. Uh, it's not just product gear that's just sending your way and kind of leaving it at that, right? Like that they're yes, actually absolutely. supporting you day in, day out. So that, that's really cool to hear, especially because uh, you put so much time into, into training and stuff. So you kind of want the best equipment to, to compete with the best, right? So I think that's excellent. So I always like to kind of hear those excellent relationships between sponsors and, and these pro athletes out there. So that's always really, really cool to see. And and so, you know, Sarah, that's pretty much a wrap here. Thanks so much for coming on. Again, I really appreciate you taking some time today. I know you've had a busy schedule here and we wish you nothing but the best of luck at Kona. And actually, I just saw that your your name was on the list for the Ironman 70.3 Worlds coming up. So that, oh, wait, I'm doing Santa Cruz. I oh. thought I said I, was, I thought I may have told them, but maybe I'm... Yeah. Okay. Because that was kind of shocked me, but I was just looking at the, the list yesterday. I saw your name on there. So I was like, okay. So maybe it might be an outdated one, but... Yeah. I mean, for me, it's a bit of commuting to come back from the US to race 70.3 worlds. I've really committed to Kona. So for me, it's Santa Cruz, home for three weeks, and then back to Hawaii. Perfect. My my goal race. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. No. And that makes more sense too, the schedule wise. So that's, that's perfect. But glad we clarified that. But... Yeah. <laughs> No, perfect. Other than that, um, thanks so much again for coming on, Sarah, and we'll love to have you back on sometime. Yeah, it's a pleasure. Um, yeah, and anyone that has any questions, just shoot them to me through socials. Um, I'm on all the usual mediums, so come, o- come on over, send me any comments. I'm happy to, happy to help out. Perfect. Awesome. And then just so they know, I guess, uh, I just kind of want to leave off that you have a website, right? And then you also use Instagram and Facebook? Yeah, that's it. Um, Sarah Crowley triathlete.com is my website. And then, um, I'm in Instagram as Sarah underscore Stan on so underscore Crowley stands a nickname. Don't ask. Um, <laughs> yeah. And then I'm on, I've got a Facebook page and it's pretty easy to find it. Pretty much just search my name and you should be able to find it in Twitter as well. Awesome. Perfect. Well, that's wrap. And anyways, thanks again and uh, all the best. Complete pleasure. Awesome. Cheers. Well, guys, there you have it. Sarah has had such an incredible career in triathlon, and I can't wait to watch her over the next couple of years. I'm so glad we are able to have her on today's show, and thanks so much for coming on the show, Sarah. We hope you nothing but the best for the rest of your season, and good luck at Kona. Now, if you guys want to hear more podcasts like these, then hit that subscribe button, and you can follow me on Instagram at pacing.and.racing, and you can also check us out on YouTube by searching Pacing and Racing. And lastly, if you did like this episode, just please take two minutes to leave a kind review on the podcast channel as this helps us get heard by more listeners through the podcast platform algorithms. Anyways, thanks guys. We'll talk to you next time.